Let's enjoy today's message by Sam Adiemi. So let's continue uh, on our series, Doing Good. Doing Good. So this is Doing Good number four of our Sunday messages. Acts chapter 10, verse 38, New Living Translation. Acts 10, 38, New Living Translation. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. I once heard someone say that it was not the business of the church to give people food or basic things, that the business of the church is to teach people and for them to go use their faith to produce results. Well, the person claimed that Christ said he was anointed to preach good news to the poor. So that that is what the church holds the poor, to preach the good news. I checked this view from scriptures and I couldn't justify it. I saw that at his crusades, Christ miraculously produced food for people to eat. I checked the early church in Acts of the Apostles, right from Acts chapter 2, and I saw the church distributing food to people that needed food, right? In fact, the distribution of food was prioritized <laughs> by the early church. In fact, in the ministry of Christ also, I saw, you know, the conversation between Christ and Judas in John chapter 13 at the Last uh, Supper, right? The Last Supper. Let me read Three verses, John 13, verses 27 to 29, New Living Translation. John 13, 27 to 29. When Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus told him, hurry and do what you are going to do. In King James Version, it says, that which thou doest, do quickly. None of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. Since Judas was their treasurer, some thought Jesus was telling him to go and pay for the food or to give some money to the poor. Isn't that interesting? So when Christ said to Judas, whatever it is you want to do, be fast with it. The other disciples, some of the other disciples thought that Christ was saying to Judas that he should go give money to the poor, which means that that was a constant in the ministry of Christ. And then I remember the conversation between Paul the Apostle and Barnabas on one hand and the other apostles in Galatians chapter 2. Paul was reporting how they went back to Jerusalem and were reporting to the other apostles what had happened in their ministry to the Gentiles. Galatians chapter 2 verses 9 and 10, New Living Translation, right? In fact, James... Peter and John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I have always been eager to do. Right? <laughs> so You see, Christ... You see the apostles prioritizing, taking care of the poor by the church. 
So with these few points of mine, <laughs> like our young people debating in school would say, I hope I have been able to convince and not confuse you <laughs> that it is the business of the church to provide for the poor. Right? And that it is greedy church leaders that get all they can, can all they get, and sit on top of the can. So, here in this Star Christian Center, we choose to do the word of God. Because we say in this that the word works wonders. We have nothing else to build on. It's the household of faith, the pillar and ground of truth. During the COVID lockdown, our church transferred money into the accounts of church members that ran out of money quickly, right? And people have asked me all over the world, right? We had something happen. What was it during COVID? We had that your church distributed money to all the church members. I thought, oh my God, you see how news travels? The thing changes as it's moving from person to person. And then I laugh. Thank God it's not a bad thing. If it's a bad thing that goes out about you, that's how people multiply it and adjust it. Thank God this one was a good thing, right? So I corrected them. No, we did not transfer money to all the church members. But people were running out of cash as soon as the lockdown started. So what did we do? We leveraged our small group system. It's the reason why... We keep emphasizing for everyone that comes to Daystar, it's not enough to show up in the big services at the weekends. You've got to belong to a small group because that is where we are a family. That's where we know you. We know your address. That's where we can respond to you at short notice. That's where people actually love on you personally. So all we had to do was just ask the leaders of our small groups, please reach out to all our members and find out those who've run out of cash. They got us their information and we just made the transfers direct from the church, right? And then four weeks later, we said, ah, the lockdown is still on. People would have run out of money now. So we did the second round of transfers. And then, <laughs> hallelujah. And then, you know, we were just doing the Bible. That's all. This is doing scriptures. And then just before the lockdown started, we, we bought food, large quantity of food into our pantry. And when it was possible to move vehicles around, then we had vehicles go, you know, drop at the food stuff at the houses of our leaders, our zonal coordinators, and then they moved them down through the small groups to our church members. Sorry. That's what we see in the Bible, right? Good. Never forget that we are a part of God's government. When we say church, 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 sometimes we're fixated on a building. Oh no, let your kingdom come. That's, let your government come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is no hunger in heaven. What was Jesus preaching? The kingdom of heaven is here. Change your thinking. Shift away from these cultures developed by human nature, by human beings. Okay? The kingdom of heaven, the government of heaven is here. So don't forget that we are a part of God's government and that this government guarantees that our basic needs will be met. 
Let me support that again with scriptures. Matthew 6, 31 and 33, or 31 to 33, New Living Translation. Matthew 6, Christ speaking. So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. When a society is built on these values, right? The values of the kingdom of God, they always thrive. They prosper because they treat humans with dignity. The values are driven by love, which recognizes the worth of the average person. Recognizes that the human being is the most valuable asset God created on the planet. That the average human is created in the image of God. In fact, that the average human is an extension of God. Because God says, whatever it is you do to somebody else, you have done it to me, <laughs> right? You give me food while I'm hungry, you fed me. It's amazing. That's what we see in the Bible, right? Matthew 25 from verse 31. All right. So when a society is built like that, so that when you build a hospital, you're building it for God. When you build a school, you're building it for God. You build an airport, you're building it for God. You build a road, you're building it for God. You build a house, you're building it for God. They always prosper. So wherever it is you may be, I'm just saying be conscious of the fact that you belong to another system, God's system, and within that system, hunger is banished. That is why people would sell their houses, sell their lands in the Bible to make sure nobody went to bed hungry in a church. Amazing, right? Sometimes, some people try to copy it because what you notice in such countries is when you're out of a job, the government gives you something, either money or a food stamp or something that you use to get food because it is beneath human dignity to not have food to eat. You get what I mean, <laughs> right? Good. Some people try to run such systems, but if there is no love to power it, those systems don't work. You just you release some amount of money, and some few people at the top will consume at least 50% of it before it gets down. So most people get nothing. You understand what I mean? Good. So, but let, let, me, let me land on this. Okay, so, so this is clear, right? It is the business of the church. It's the business of Christians to fight hunger, to fight poverty, okay? To make sure people are not going to bed hungry without food. It's our business. It was the business of Christ when he was here. It is still his business today as he expresses himself through us. All right. So the other side to it, the other dimension to it is the fact that when you look at the scriptures, you notice that the distribution of food was possible because some people did the giving. Some people did the giving, right? When Christ fed the crowd, 5,000 men and then women and children, it was a young boy that gave his lunch of five loaves of bread and two fish. Did you notice that? Yeah. For distribution to be possible, somebody had to make some sacrifice. 
Somebody had to do some giving. Luke chapter 8 verses 1 to 3, New Living Translation. Luke 8, 1 to 3. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. This is direct from the ministry of Christ himself. There were people following him about, and they were giving to support what he was doing. Next, Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 35. Acts 4, 32 to 35, New Living Translation. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. So it was possible for the church to do the distribution, to take care of people that had desperate needs because some people were doing the giving. And that's my challenge to you today that you be a part of those that are doing the giving. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He went about doing good, healing all those that were oppressed of the devil. He was doing that. While he was doing, going about doing good, there were people going about doing the giving. Come on. Why you should give? Very quickly. Number one, it is the proof of love. For God and for man, it's the proof that you have love in your heart. God started it right. John chapter 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. The proof of love is giving. Not just giving, but sacrificial giving. You can give without loving. But you really can't love without giving. Because the proof of love is given. First John chapter 3, verse 16. This is how we recognize love in that he laid down his life for us. So we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So the measure of that love actually is in the sacrifice. And you see it there. Last week we emphasized that point. That when, when you hear how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and, and Jesus said that he was giving us the Holy Spirit, we said, Two proofs that you are filled with the Spirit of God. Number one, the gifts of the Spirit. You have supernatural talent, supernatural ability to solve problems for people. But we said the second one we describe as the fruit of the Spirit, that is love, the character of God, the nature of God. That God supernaturally gives you capacity for loving. And we see it there right from Acts chapter 2. Are you filled with the Spirit of God? Does the Holy Spirit influence your thinking? Because if he doesn't, you will think like everybody else around. And what does everybody do? Get all you can, can all you get, and sit on top of the can, right? <laughs> These people in Acts of the Apostles were not doing that, right? Good. So we give 
as proof that we love in the first place, that we are passionate about God, right? God said about David in the Bible, he called him a man after my own heart. You read 1 Chronicles 29, David tells Solomon, I wanted to build a house for God. But since I, God said it was not my job to do, that I would have to leave it for you to do. But I want you to know, even though I could not build it, these are the things I put together. I was saving money, you know, I was investing, I was, I was gathering together the material. This is what I have and I'm putting it down, right? Love for God, passion for God, expressed through passion for man. Number two, why you should give. It is one of the purposes of work. For a Christian, it's one of the major reasons why you are working. Remember, God's system guarantees that your basic needs will be met. Philippians 4.19, For my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory through Jesus Christ. Okay, so this is a system where if, even if you don't work, you will get food to eat. That's God's system. Then why should I work? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 28. This is what the early Christians had. Ephesians 4 28, New Living Translation. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> we work not just so we can have something to eat, but so we can have to give. Wow. Next, giving qualifies you to be trusted with more resources. You really want to check a person's character? You want to check a person's priorities? Check the person's bank statement. I promise you that. Your resources follow your priorities. Your resources follow your commitment. You won't sacrifice for something that is not important to you. So if family is important to someone, you see it in their bank statement. If their health is important, you see it in their bank statement. If investment is important to them, you see it in their bank statement, right? If God is important to them, you see it in their bank statement, right? So, if God is going to check a person's character, it's the bank statement he checks. <laughs> it's there. Let me read it. Luke 16, verse 10, New Living Translation. This is Christ speaking. Luke 16, 10. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Wow. In other words, you, you know, I've, I, I, I've heard people say in our local language, in our Yoruba language, um, what I want is, is for God to just test me with money. I need for God to test me. I mean, for God to just give me one million naira, right? For God to just give me 10 million naira. For God to just give me one million dollars. For God to just test me with money. They don't know God is smarter than that. <laughs> you know, I always talk about experiments and the fact that when something is an experiment, you use only small quantities of chemicals, right? While it is still at experimental stage, why should you use large quantities of chemicals? You will burn down the laboratory. So, oh no, God doesn't run his tests like that. He's smarter than that. By the way, if you're a business person, what do we say these days? We say when you are starting, you should do the lean startup model, right? 
Yeah. They say you should get an MVP, minimum viable product. That's what you should produce. That's what you should sell. And then check the data. Check how people are responding to it. Then you will find out what people like, what they don't like, how they like it, how they don't like it, where they like to get it, and so on, right? And the price at which they will prefer to give. Mm-hmm. That's God, how God operates. Hallelujah. God has tested you already. <laughs> Did you pass? <laughs> because Christ said, <laughs> if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones also. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibility. So what you are doing with small money is exactly what you will do with big money. You see, this, this prosperity thing is a matter of habits, mindset and habits, right? Good. Ah, forgot to just test me. Oh, sorry. <laughs> he tested you already. You want to see the result? Just check your bank statement right now, right? You will see whether God is important to you. You will see whether your family is important to you <laughs> and so on. So when we give, you know, it is proof that when we have more, we will give more. Let me to ask your neighbor, did you pass? <laughs> Next, it is a moral obligation. Giving to God's work. Giving to support the church's capacity to meet people's needs is a moral obligation. Giving to a ministry is a moral obligation. What do I mean? See? Money is a means of exchange of value. You need that understanding as the foundation before you can relate well with money. It's just a means of exchange of value, right? Your phone, you gave money to get the phone. That's an exchange. You gave money to get the food. That's an exchange, right? You gave money to get the car. That's an exchange. When you understand that, it's deliverance, right? So the fact that you're a Christian and you can speak in tongues with smoke coming out of your nostril does not excuse you from the principle. So do you notice, sorry, do you know somebody with smoke that comes out of the nostril? Okay. So, but you see the principle in Luke chapter 8, right, which we read about Christ. The principle is there, Right? But the, the, this is the way it worked. So they said that you have these women following Christ and that Christ healed many of them of different kinds of diseases and that some of them, he cast demons out of them, including Mary Magdalene, out of whom he cast out seven demons, right? Those were the people following him. And then you notice that they were the ones given to his ministry. So value went from his ministry to them. Value came from them to support the same ministry. It's the simple way money works. Once you find someone that is willing to take value from people without giving value back, you have someone with poverty mentality. And it's very difficult to prosper with that kind of a mindset, right? So I'm saying it's a moral obligation because God has blessed us. He sacrificed his son for us. And then he's blessing us every day. The most important things in this life are the things you can't even pay for 
the things you don't have to pay for, the oxygen, the capacity to breathe in the first place, your good health. Just imagine how much you would spend repairing the health if something was wrong, right? So God is delivering value every day. And then when you're a part of a church, you're a part of a ministry, and value is coming to you from that ministry, let's do like the people in the Bible did, right? It's a moral obligation that value should go back. Let's go on. It's a means of converting riches to true wealth. And that's my last point. Giving, right, is an opportunity to overcome greed. Opportunity to be free from the control of mammon, the god of money. Opportunity to exercise mastery over material wealth and opportunity to convert material wealth into what the Bible calls true riches, true wealth. When you've been deprived of something, the likelihood is that you will overvalue that thing. Have you noticed? Yeah, when you've been deprived of something, you tend to overvalue it. So if you grow up in, a, in, a, in an environment of poverty, deprivation and lack, the likelihood is that you will overvalue money. And then you will equate money with wealth. And I want you to understand, truly wealthy people know that the major part of a wealthy person's wealth is intangible. Honestly, intangible. If you have money and you have no peace of mind, you are plagued with fear. You are terrified, right? You're terrified. You're anxious. You're fearful. Your money and material things will suddenly lose value. If you have a lot of money, but then you lose your health and you are in body racking pain 24-7 slash 365, then the money will lose its essence and the houses lose their essence because you can't even sleep in the night and your body is racked with pain. You get what I'm trying to say? There are things that are more valuable than money. Some people say time is money. Oh no. Oh no. Which one is more valuable? Some people say, give me the money, give me the money. I say, okay, 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 wait, wait, wait. Let's reach an agreement that I take all your time and you take one billion dollars. Which one would you choose? I know some people will rush, give me the one billion dollars, what do I want to do with the time? Well, this is what I mean, that I give you the one billion dollars and you drop dead, because that's what it means to take all your time. All the time that is left for you on this planet, right? I give you the one billion dollars, you drop dead. Who still wants the money? <laughs> you see, the time is more valuable than the money, right? But you can convert the time to money. So, 1 Timothy 6 17 to 19, New Living Translation. 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19, New Living Translation. Teach those who are rich in this world. I'm teaching you, so I'm doing my part, right? Not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. Oh, thank you, Jesus. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Wow, what a powerful conversion there. 
What a powerful conversion there. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord. When you have and you give, it says it doesn't go away. It, doesn't, it may leave your hand, but it doesn't leave your life. It switches into the spiritual and affects your life for eternity. Isn't that powerful? Thank you, Lord. <laughs> so in this time, thank you, Jesus. We are on a two-dimensional war on poverty. And I'm asking you today to join us. Number one, we provide basic needs. We supply food every week. Every week. Join us on this two-dimensional war on poverty. The first dimension, we supply food. We pay hospital bills. The basic thing, the family can pay children's school fees. Attack, right? So not only collectively as a church, some of our church members actually have founded NGOs. Some go to IDP, right? Internally displaced persons camps and so on. People are doing fantastic things. Some distribute food on the street, right? That's the first one. The second dimension is that we empower people to crush poverty in this time. We are practical about it, right? And gratefully, we've been doing this for 20-something years. And our church has produced millionaires, multi-millionaires and billionaires in the process. Now, those people now teach classes at our Daystar Business Academy. They want to reproduce themselves. Isn't that amazing? Oh, yeah. They are setting targets for themselves to produce other millionaires and billionaires just so that our capacity to wage this war can increase. So I want to encourage you to take advantage of those opportunities. Amen. I prophesy on you in the name of Jesus Christ, the anointed one, the anointed one, right? <laughs> I prophesy in the name of Jesus that the curse of poverty that Satan placed not only over families, but over cities and over nations and even some continents, that curse is destroyed forever from your own life and family in the name of Jesus Christ. The way Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. I prophesy, the power of God comes on you now. The Spirit of God fills you up afresh, takes over all of your faculties right now. I prophesy you will think and creatively imagine on a dimension you have never done before in the mighty name of Jesus. I anoint you as a problem solver. I declare you an anointed problem solver in the mighty name of Jesus. The problems of individuals, families, organizations, cities, and nations have become your opportunities to demonstrate the power of God in the name of Jesus. And I prophesy that as you commit to be a giver, you commit to eradicate poverty, I prophesy the windows of heaven are open over you. The warehouses of heaven are open for you. I prophesy you will attract resources now that you have never attracted in your life before in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Just in case you don't have a relationship with God and you honestly are saying that today because that's what this is about, that you have a relationship with God. Every human being was born a sinner, but someday you, you just acknowledge the truth. Sin is the biggest problem between us and God. And God sent his son Jesus to die for us on the cross. And you say, Lord, I acknowledge what Jesus did. Forgive me. That's the turning point. Now, if you're the honest person, can you please put your hand on your heart and say this prayer after me? Dear God, I believe 
that Jesus paid for my sins, I ask you to forgive me and to accept me as your child. Thank you for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for everyone that said this prayer. And Jesus said there's celebration in heaven when this happens. So we're grateful that their sins are forgiven and that the nature of sin is removed from them and that the Spirit of God now puts your own nature in them. That's it. Thank you for this miracle of change. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.